All right, here's what we're going to do today. We are going to dive, week four of our series reference point, we are going to dive into what might be the most polarizing topic today for many, many people, and that's the topic of politics. So we're going to do it. Yeah, I love it, Denny. Denny just starts laughing. I had people after first, uh, both of the servers come up to me and they said, as soon as you said that, you know, they're like, oh my goodness, what are we doing here? Politics. That's what we're going to talk about today. Would you agree with me that politics dominate the airwaves today? Would, would you agree with that? I mean, it's 24-7. And now, the topic of politics, it's so contentious. I mean, there's battles on all the sides, battles over border control, gun control, foreign trade, taxes, security, wages, special counsels, whistleblowers, impeachment. And here's what's pretty wild. No matter who you talk to about the topic of politics, no matter who you talk to, their opinion is right. Haven't you figured that out? That they believe that their opinion is right. It's a square circle today. So to kick this off, here's what I need you to do to help me out a little bit. I need everybody to stand right now. Okay, so everybody stand. Everybody stand. Uh, in light of what we're going to do in a moment, you might want to go ahead and high-five the person next to you. You're gonna, you probably need to do this. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do right now. We are going to split the room according to your political party. <laughs> we're going to put all the Democrats on the left, and we're going to put all the Republicans on the right. So... Go ahead and have a seat. <laughs> now tell me when I said that, that inside something didn't happen to some of you, right? You're like, whether your adrenaline just spiked, whether you're like, oh my goodness, whether your head went down, something just happened inside of you because we know the topic of politics. It just stirs in us. Well, if Christ and not culture is our reference point. That's what we've been talking about in this series. Then how should Jesus' followers respond to the topic of politics? If Christ is our reference point and, and not our culture. Well, that's what we're going to talk about. To kind of kick this off, I, I need to almost give a, a, a first disclaimer about the Old and New Testament, because we're going to go to God's Word. We're going to turn to John 18 in, in a moment. But before we get there, let me explain something. It's very important to understand this that we need to be very careful how we utilize the Old Testament when we talk about politics. Now, now, what do I mean by that? Well, because in the Old Testament, God chose a group of people. God chose a nation of people called the Jews. And so a big part of the Old Testament is God helping them with their governmental operation. It's what is known as a theocracy, that the people would conduct their society and culture and religion based on the rules and regulation and laws that God has given them. And so for the Jews, the political and religious laws and the rules and the regulations, all of that was blended together in the Old Testament. So you and I have to, you and I have to be very careful about utilizing the Old Testament when we're having this discussion because there is so much that you and I have to work towards unpacking if we're trying to utilize the Old Testament in our conversations. But in the New Testament, it's different. In the New Testament, we have what's called the New Covenant. It's the church age. And the New Testament is about how God works within the church. And we discover in the New Testament that the gospel is not limited to one race or one group of people 
or one nation. So that means, Christians, we can live in any nation, and we could have the same operating procedures no matter what government that we're under. In fact, what did Jesus say? He said, I want you to go make disciples of how many nations? Anybody know? All nations. All nations. So we're going to dive into John 18. Before I do that, let me kind of set the context so you understand what we're talking about. At the time of Jesus, you had a, basically a two-party system. You had the Roman party and the Jewish party. And, and Israel was a Roman colony in which they had a Roman governor in charge of the land of the region. At the time of Jesus, you might, some of you might know this, it was a guy named Pilate. Pilate had two jobs as the Roman governor. His job number one was to maintain the peace in the region for Rome. So he wanted to make sure there's no political uprisings, that there were no revolts going on, and he'd use, of course, the Roman military to kind of keep that peace. Second, Pilate, the Roman governor, was also responsible to make sure that the people paid their taxes to Rome, that they would help fund Rome. So basically, you have two political systems working side by side. You have the Roman system, which is in ultimate control, but they allowed the Jews to govern themselves as long as there were no up political uprisings and as long as they paid their taxes to Rome. Now we're getting ready again to read John 18, if you haven't turned there yet. In this passage, you have the Sanhedrin, which is basically the Jewish ruling, uh, ruling party. It's almost like the Supreme Court where they have their social regulations, their social laws, but also their religious laws. And the Sanhedrin got the Roman government, or basically Roman officials, Roman soldiers, to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we're at the latter part of Jesus' life. He's going to be going to the cross shortly, and what kicks it off is the Sanhedrin going to get Jesus out of the garden. They bring him to the high priest Caiaphas, to Caiaphas' house, where you have Caiaphas and other members of the Sanhedrin, of the, of, of the, of the ruling group, of the political group, and at night, they basically put Jesus through a sham trial. It was, it was illegal to do. That wasn't proper to do. And so what you see automatically there is you see corruption in politics. It's not just today. It's always been there. And during the trial, they ultimately charged Jesus with blasphemy. They gave him a death sentence. But here's the problem. The Romans did not allow the Jewish people to carry out that part of their Jewish laws. The, the Jews could not execute people. So they had to come up with, a, with an idea to get, they had to somehow figure out to get Pilate, the Roman governor, to do their bidding of executing Jesus. Here's the problem. Pilate could care less about Jesus. Pilate could care less about the Jews having their internal squabbles within their own religion. That wasn't his concern. As long as they didn't revolt, as long as they paid their taxes, he didn't care what the Jews, when they were arguing amongst themselves, and so he didn't care about this blasphemy charge. It didn't mean anything to him. So the Sanhedrin comes up, come, came up with a corrupt strategy. They thought, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll go before Pilate, and, and as we go before Pilate, we're going to tell him that Jesus is claiming to be the king of the Jews. That'll get Pilate's attention because he knows there's only one king. There's only one emperor. That's Tiberius Claudius Nero, who was the ruler at the time. And second, they said, you know what we'll also do? We'll try to convince Pilate that Jesus and his disciples, they weren't paying taxes properly to Rome. 
So, you have the Sanhedrin, these Jewish politicians. They're going to go before Pilate to try to make a political case. And they're going to try to make a political case in the two areas that Pilate is concerned about, which is taxes and somebody trying to usurp uh, Roman authority. So you got the context? You ready to go as we dive in? Romans, uh, John 18. John 18. Let's look at this. It says this, verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Okay, notice this is a political conversation for Pilate. Verse 34, is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people, here he's thinking politically, your own people and chief priests hand you over to me. What is it you've done? So you're catching this? Pilate right now is trying to get a political read on Jesus. He's trying to figure out, is Jesus a threat politically? Is he going to be, if he's this king of the Jews, how is that going to impact me? So he's investigating. Is it just an internal Jewish thing, or is this a legit concern for me? He's trying to figure it out. Jesus said, verse 36, notice, we're going to say some words together here, out loud together. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this what? My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my my arrest by the Jewish leaders. And we know that started to happen, if, if some of you know the story, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the, when the military came to get Jesus, what did Peter do? He stood up to protect, to defend Jesus with the sword. He grabbed out the, you know, the knife, the sword. He cut off Malchus's ear, and Jesus said, whoa, 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 Peter, Peter, put away the sword. Put away the sword. Why? Because my kingdom is not of this world. Verse 36, Jesus said, actually, my kingdom is from another place. Remember, Pilate is assessing Jesus politically. And so Jesus is clarifying for Pilate from a political perspective. I'm not here for political reform. If that's why I was here, you wouldn't have even been able to arrest me because I would have had an army protecting me. Jesus is like, Pilate, that's not what I'm about. Now, Jesus saw the corruption. He even saw the corruption in his own society. He called it out with the Pharisees many times. But Jesus wasn't here to change culture. He was not here to Christianize the Roman society or the Jewish society or the Jewish system. Jesus wasn't here to Christianize culture. Jesus was here to change people, to save people, to save people like you and me who need a Savior. Why? Because Jesus knew he is a citizen of heaven first. What did he say? My kingdom is not of this what? My kingdom is not of this world. Don't miss it. Jesus didn't come to establish a Christian kingdom here and now. In fact, we don't have time to get into the details of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Jesus. I'll just give you a couple verses, though, uh, because God had something else to say about kingdoms, and because, you know, he had a different perspective, and Jesus knew his kingdom was not of this world. He even said this in Revelation chapter 1. Jesus said he has made us a kingdom of priests for God and his Father. Jesus was even asked about the kingdom of God in Luke 17, and he said the kingdom of God is within us. So as you and I think about politics, as we're thinking, Jesus as our reference point, what's the Jesus way? We need to always keep an eternal perspective. First, 
always keep an eternal perspective first. We have a citizenship in heaven. That is first and foremost. Before anything else, everything else is second to having an eternal perspective. And so that means you and I have to be very, very careful about trying to have our priority or our goal to Christianize culture. That was never the focus of God. Because if it was, then you and I don't need a Savior. All we need to do is legislate. It wasn't his focus. Because Jesus understood something. He understood that the world is corrupt, that the world is lost in sin. It always has been. It always will be to the very end of the age, the Bible says. And that will be led by Satan. 2 Corinthians 4 refers to Satan as the, as the ruler or the God of this age. The world's systems, political systems, they will always be corrupt and lost in sin till the end of the age, until Jesus returns. That will never change. But you know what will change? Individual people coming to Christ. Individual people within countries, within nations, within governments, within political systems. Individual people giving their life to Christ. And I understand this is confusing. It's confusing. Paul, Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, he said, he was talking to these Philippian believers, he said, as I have often told you before now and tell you even again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. And, and Paul was brought to tears about this, and, and he made the statement, their mind is set on earthly things. So Paul understood, and he's looking at people who are lost, who are far from God, and says, man, that destiny, it's destruction, and he's heartbroken about it because they're focused on things of this earth. But our citizenship is, he's talking to Jesus followers, our citizenship is in, remember what he said earlier, my kingdom is not of this world. He says, our citizenship is in, what does the verse say? Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul is just telling us, keep your priorities straight. Keep your priorities straight. Don't get caught up in the stuff and the garbage of this age. That's always going to be corrupt. That's secondary to Jesus' followers. Our citizenship, first and foremost, is in heaven. And our number one priority is people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. See, our hope and our faith is, is not in, it's in God, and it's not in a president. It's not in a candidate. It's not in a senator. It's not in a bill or a law. It's not in the Supreme Court. Our past, our present, and please don't miss this, our future. Yeah. It's in God's hands. It's in God's hands, no matter what the political landscape is, because we recognize we're citizens of heaven first and foremost. Now, does that mean we don't get involved in the system? We'll get to that in a moment. But we have to start here. We have to keep our perspective, have this eternal perspective first. Now, what's incredible to think about, the guy who wrote this in Philippians, Paul, the Apostle Paul, his whole life revolved around blending religion and politics before he came to Jesus. He was a political activist, and he did everything he could to make sure his society, his culture, followed God's laws, religiously, socially, everything. He would even take people and, 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 and arrest them and, and have them executed. I mean, he was a political activist, but what happened once Paul became a Jesus follower? 
His focus changed. He went from being a political activist to being a spiritual activist. Paul went from a place of, of focusing on, hey, I got to protect this and I got to keep these together and I got to push it out on people. He went to say, you know what? I'm going to now cross borders and I'm going to go to all nations and I'm going to share Jesus and everybody can give their life to Christ because the kingdom of God is within us. We are a kingdom of priests. Your citizenship is in heaven. And so he went out and he shared that message. And how was he able to do it? He had an eternal perspective. He was a citizen of heaven first. Before Paul came to Christ, it was all about religion. It was all about, for him, politics and religion being one. Here's what I want you to think about. For those of you who might know history a little bit, if you know church history or really any religious history, whenever politics and religion or faith are commingled, whenever the lines between politics and religion are blurred, what follows? Corruption. Always. I mean, just look at the Christian history. Constantine, the Roman emperor, stepped up and, and he made or declared Christianity to this statewide religion in about the fourth century or so. Demanded that people become Christians. Through that journey, this idea of colonization began to develop in Jesus' name. All of this corruption began to happen. And if you think back and you look, you have kings or emperors or rulers, and then you have the church, the priest, and they, and they, and they came together. And in the middle of that, you look back and the corruption that took place that you and I would look back today and say, I can't believe what happened in the name of Jesus to individuals, to countries, to cultures. Because whenever you blur the lines between politics and religion, corruption follows. So, you and I have to be careful about that, about blurring those lines politically and spiritually. Now, when I make that statement saying we have to be careful about blurring the lines politically and spiritually, and we have to be careful with that, you know who gets that and then they're good with it and they have no problem with what I just said? The underground church in China. They get that. They understand that. They're like, oh, yeah, we get it. We're good. I mean, they're underground. You know who struggles with that idea of being careful about blurring the lines politically and spiritually? Americans. We do. We struggle with that. Why? It's because our country was founded on Judeo-Christian ethics. In fact, our, our dollar bill, what does it say? In who we trust. In, in God we trust. We put our hand over our heart and we pledge allegiance to the United States of America, one nation under God. Our Constitution allows for religious freedom. In other words, the lines are blurred for you and I. I get it. So we have to recognize when the lines are blurred politically and religiously or spiritually, there is that potential that we can open ourselves up to misunderstanding and misinterpreting God's will for our lives. We can potentially open ourselves up to the possibility when we blend politics and faith, politics and religion, that the possibility exists. If we start blurring those lines and blending that, there's a possibility for a corruption to increase. Let me give you one thing to consider here. There's only one nation under God. I don't know if you know who it is. It's the Jews. Really? Are there nations that ad adopt Judeo-Christian ethics? Absolutely. 
Are there values that we should embrace from God's word that would be good for a culture or a society? Sure there are. If I don't lie, cheat, or steal, I'm going to have a better life. If, if our culture, if our society doesn't lie, cheat, or steal, it's going to be a better culture, a better society, no doubt about it. But that doesn't make a culture or a society a Christian nation. You see, for a lot of us, this is a perspective adjustment. Because if we see from the perspective of eternity first, then we recognize we're citizens of heaven first and foremost. And when we recognize we're citizens of heaven first, it helps us keep things more in fo focus and more in perspective. And then we don't run the risk of spiritualizing the political parties. Listen, God is not a Republican. God is not a, Jesus is not a Democrat. They're not even Americans. And if we can keep that perspective, eternity first, citizens of heaven first, it prevents us from over-spiritualizing uh, our politicians. It helps us keep it in perspective. We can't be looking at our political leaders like they're the pastors of the Church of USA. We don't go down that path when we understand the eternal perspective. We're citizens of heaven first. When we have the perspective of eternity first, citizens of heaven first, it'll also help us from over-spiritualizing ballot issues. Here's something to think about, maybe discuss this week in your small groups. I'm not so sure God really cares about gun control, secure borders, taxes, and minimum wage. We might care about it, and that's okay. Are they God issues? No. Be careful about blurring those lines. By the way, when we blur the lines between faith and politics, what happens is we can even over-spiritualize voting. That somehow, some way, that this freedom and right that we have in our country, which is incredible, many Christians do not have the freedom, the privilege, and the right built into their state government and their constitution that they have the freedom to vote. I think it's something that we have. It's a freedom we have. I think it would be great. I think we should exercise it. Uh, we have that freedom to do that. We should take advantage of that right. To say God wants me to vote, and if I don't vote, then I'm in sin. We're blurring lines. We're blurring lines. Or to say Christians only vote this way. We're blurring the lines between faith and politics. So, an eternal perspective helps us, helps that, the, the grip be loosened from our life. It helps prevent the blurring that occurs between faith and politics. Because remember, whenever those lines are blurred, whenever they're blurred, it's very easy to misinterpret God's will for our life, and it's very easy for corruption to then soon follow. Pastor, are you saying we shouldn't get involved? That we shouldn't care about anything? That we just sit around and pray and kind of hope things work out? I didn't say any of that. In fact, let's look at Matthew chapter 5 together. Matthew chapter 5. And it says this, Jesus says, in verse 13, he says, you're the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Here's a metaphor for specifically preserving. That's what salt does for preserving the gospel. 
How do I know that? Look at the context. Verse 14, Jesus says, You're also the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Then he says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others. So what's our light? He says, that they may see your good deeds. In other words, yeah, go out, be bold. Be out there spiritually speaking with the gospel. Be that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven which means that's code for that they will become Christians because those who glorify God in heaven, those are Christians. In other words, as you and I go about our daily life, our everyday life, our spiritual responsibility is to be salt and to be light. Don't go neutral. Be salt, be light. Have that influence. What's that influence? It's presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ through how we talk, through how we act, through our good deeds, through our, 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 our sharing the love of Christ with others so that they will want to commit their lives to God so that they can ultimately give glory to God. Remember, Jesus came, why? To change people. To change people. Not just to Christianize a culture. So our reference point, our spiritual responsibility, is to be a spiritual influence for Jesus. Which means, if you work, be a spiritual influence. Be salt and light at your work. If you're, if you're at home, be spiritual influence. Salt and light at home, at the playground, at the park. If you're students, be salt and light with your classmates. If you're a team member, be salt and light. Have spiritual influence with your teammates. If you're in the military, be salt and light in your squad, your platoon, or your company. And if you are political, be salt and light in your politics. It's about letting your spiritual light shine all the time. Wherever you decide to go, whatever you decide to get involved in, whether that's in the voting booth or the office you run for or the politics you seek to influence or change or keep, whatever you decide to get involved in, it's seeing through the lens of Jesus. It's caring about what Jesus cares about. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, in fact, he said, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord, meaning in the values of Jesus, in the priorities of Jesus. And again, this is where the tension is for us. And here's where the tension is as we are in an environment that's a political system that is corrupted, but also still has Christian values mixed in it. We're not a Christian system. The only Christian system is the church. Everything else is a worldly system. Yes, Christian values can be mixed into it, but it's still a worldly system. So how do we navigate that? How do we be a spiritual influence for Jesus? Well, it means we got to care about the things that Jesus cares about. And when you think about the topics of politics that are out there, what does Jesus care about? What does God weighed in on? You know, what does God say about life? So when you think about abortion, what does God say about prayer? What does God say about compassion for the poor? God's weighed in on those. College education, borders, taxes. I don't think God cares. We might, and we live in a society where we can care about that and vote for that, but be careful in blurring the lines. And again, this is so, so challenging. Because how do I be a spiritual influence for Jesus? How do I speak truth in love about topics that God cares about. How do I do that in a system that is corrupt?
that is flawed, but allows me to speak my religious freedom? How do I speak at city council meetings the truth of Jesus? How do I speak at an Elk Grove Unified School District meeting about curriculum for our six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, and eight-year-olds? How do I do that, that I speak my values in love? How do I do that? How do I speak up and, and petition and protest the laws that I think are contrary to God's laws? How do I do that? In the environment I find myself in, and I got to tell you, the answer isn't simple. And I wouldn't pretend to stand up here and say it's, super, it's easy, just do this, this, and this. What I do know is it's something you have to pray about. Seriously pray about. I know you have to pray about it. I also need that you know that you know that you need to figure that out in light of everything we know about G- being a Jesus follower, a citizen of heaven first and an American second. And I know that I need to think about that and pray about that in the light of the fact that we do live in a, a corrupt, flawed environment and world, even though I can implement Christian values because of the freedom of religion, but also knowing it's still corrupt system. So I'm not going to go down the path of saying, if you really follow the Lord, you're here. You're on this side. You believe this. You believe that. I'm not going to go down that path because that means I'm blurring the lines. And that just leads to division and hatred. It's not being salt and light. So here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you. Approach your politics through the lens of what matters to Jesus. No matter who the candidate is, No matter what's on the ballot, no matter what the bills are, see it through the lens of Jesus, seeking to be salt and light, letting the good deeds shine forth in your life, whatever arena you are in, including in the area of our politics. And as you do that, as you try to travel down that path to be salt and light, remember our ultimate goal through our politics, through our life, Whatever it is, it's to present Jesus in such a way that they join the family of God, that they become Christians first. And in any area of our life where people are repelled by Jesus because of what we do and what we say, man, we got to go before the Lord. And we say, God, show me, what am I doing? What can I do? What can I change? What can I modify? Still expressing your values, but doing it in a way that they, I can be salt, I can be light, that they may see my good deeds, they may see how I act, so that they can come to the place where they glorify you, where they give their life to you. Because our primary goal is not to Christianize a nation. It's to lead people to Jesus Christ. So whatever you do, whatever environment you're in, Be a spiritual influence for Jesus. Let's pray. God, there's so much to unpack with this. This isn't simple. It's not an easy conversation. God, I know for me, as I've been praying about this and thinking through this, even for years, God, how do I express your truth? How do I be salt and light so that people may praise you and glorify you and give their life to you? How do I do that but also knowing, God, that there's going to be times when the world hates me when I share your truth? And they're going to not hear your message when I stand up for your truth. So God, I'm asking as I wrestle with these questions that you'd help all of us wrestle with these questions. But Lord, I pray you'd help every single one of us 
keep an eternal perspective first. God, help every one of us realize we're citizens of heaven first. And so show us what it looks like to be salt, to be light, to be a spiritual influence for Jesus, including, Lord Jesus, in our politics. That people may come to know you as Lord and Savior. Help us in this journey. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.